Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. Today on the podcast, we're calling in a pinch hitter. Steve Tamayo, Executive Pastor from Chatham Community Church. Say hi, Steve. Hi. Is here to talk about walking with the Spirit in hard times. Good luck, buddy. Thanks. I want to tell you a story. How do I make a long story short and a short story meaningful? I picked a strange time to have a crisis of faith, a minor crisis of faith, put it that way. Amy had just gotten out of surgery. Uh, She was diagnosed with a form of cancer, very treatable form of cancer. They removed um, the cancer and some surrounding tissue that they were worried about. And she was recovering and everything was fine. And then I had this little crisis blip up. It's strange how we walk with God through times of suffering, particularly what that looks like for our walk with the spirit. When Amy was diagnosed with cancer, uh, both of the times she's been diagnosed with cancer, those have been some of the most beautiful, profound, intense spiritual seasons of my life. Times where I have run to God, my father, times where I have clung to Christ, my savior, times where I have enjoyed the spirit of God who dwells with me and around me at all times. I'm just not always aware of him. There's a thing I read once that said that when a a child of a good father falls down and hurts himself or injures herself, the most natural thing to do in those times of pain and suffering is to run to the good parent, to run to the father, to run to the mother, to cling, uh, to climb up in the parent's lap and to ask for help. And that's what I do over the years, what I found myself doing when I'm in hard times, times of suffering. That's why I was so surprised to find myself feeling unsettled after the cancer was removed. I hopped on the phone with my friend, Matt. Matt is someone who's known me for a long, long time. He's someone that I trust. He's someone who I know won't think I'm crazy because he knows the ways I'm crazy. And I asked him for some input. Now I've been blessed over the years to have so many friends who have walked with me when life has gotten hard and people who've invited me to journey with them when they've gone through times of suffering. And here's what I found myself asking my friend, Matt. I felt so confident during the time of trial, the time of testing, the time of suffering, while we're in the hospital with Amy, when we're talking to the doctors, I felt so confident that I had heard something from God, some guidance from God. And then the thing I expected didn't happen. And I'm grateful that everything is okay. And I'm grateful that what's happened is beyond my wildest expectations that God has been so good to me and to my family. But that miss, that sense that I I thought I was walking with the spirit and, and something has gone wrong. I've misunderstood This is something that happens often when we walk with God, when we journey with God. 
where where we think we have heard from him and we're surprised. It, it happened with the Apostle Paul. I, I love this story from from Acts where Paul has this this dream, this vision of a man from Macedonia calling him and his band of apostles to go and preach the gospel to them. It's awesome. And when Paul gets to the place where he feels the spirit leading him, when finally he's not experiencing spiritual resistance to his mission, when the Holy Spirit is no longer opposing Paul, but is when he's moving in the wind of the spirit. It's beautiful. It's awesome. He gets there. He looks for the man from Macedonia and there are literally no men around. It's a woman. It's a woman. Paul saw a vision of the man from Macedonia and its fulfillment was a woman who planted a church with Paul, who opened the door, who hosted, who paved the way, who made it possible for Paul, the apostle to bring the gospel to Macedonia. Times of trial and suffering are often amplified by our unmet expectations, whether they're positive or negative. I found myself wrestling with this passage from John 10. Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. He says that his sheep listen to him. And I was trying to do that. I was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus That's what makes the Holy Spirit not weird, not creepy, so familiar. Because the same Jesus who I see in the Gospels, who I love in the Gospels, whose teaching moves me and has changed the world, this is the Spirit. It's His Spirit who fills me and leads me, who I try to walk in step with every day. We're told that Jesus' sheep listen to Him and that His sheep follow Him because they know His voice. We're told that that I know my sheep, Jesus says, and my sheep know me. If I'm wrong about something, about something about God, does it mean that I don't know him? Does it mean that I'm not actually following him, that I'm following some voice in my head? I think that's something I've always been afraid of when listening to the spirit, afraid that I will substitute the spirit's voice for my own voice. Isn't that what we're all afraid of? Aren't we all afraid that we will imagine a God who isn't really there, that we will follow a God that doesn't exist, that we will create a God of our own design, a God who can't save us, a God who has no wisdom, a God who falls asleep, who makes mistakes, who is deeply, deeply, deeply lonely. My sheep will know my voice. They will follow me because they know me. This is what Jesus said. And as I was talking to my friend Matt and was explaining this struggle, receiving the gift of 25 years of friendship with him, maybe not that long. Maybe I'm not that old. 20 years of friendship with him. Can we say that? 20 years. He pointed out some things that that I was doing and that were happening that helped him see and maybe would help me see that I was really tuned into the voice of the spirit that actually what I was experiencing was normal was natural was wasn't weird and three of those things that came up in our hour-long conversation while I'm walking around my neighborhood Powell Place late at night and he's home from having been an ER doctor all day saving people's lives and he's helping his friend 
He pointed out that in this time of crisis, the first thing that was happening is that I was moving toward the spirit, not away from the spirit. Sometimes times of crisis and suffering tempt us to go away from God, away from Jesus, away from the spirit, away from the cistern, which is full of water and out into the desert. I've had times in my life when I've done that. Times when the crisis I was experiencing drove me, when I allowed the crisis to drive me away from God. This is not one of those. This is a time when I was moving toward God. I'm spending more time than, than in a long time reading the Bible, more time in prayer, more time journaling, more time engaging in spiritual friendship with people like Sean and, and Russ and Tony, with people like Cynthia and Chris and Tim, with my own wife, with Amy. It's been a very spiritually rich time. I've been moving toward God, not away from him. And that's a wonderful sign. I think this is something that you could apply when you're in times of trial, when you're in times of suffering. Move toward God, not away from him. Ask yourself, what's one thing I can do today? What's one thing I can do in this moment? To paraphrase something that Pastor Jaime said a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, what can I do in the next 30 seconds to move toward, not away? Times of crisis are times where you have the opportunity to use the toolkit that you have developed over the years, the tools that you have developed to help you connect with God. If you've been experimenting with spiritual pathways over the last several weeks, if you've been going on long walks out in nature, if you've been engaging in, in godly activism and pursuing social justice in the name of Jesus, if you've been experimenting with these spiritual pathways, the tools that you have acquired in the times of peace are helpful in the times of storm. You don't want the first time you pick your Bible up to be when you're in the midst of crisis. You might have the thing that happened to that one man where he never read the Bible and he's in a hard time in, in his life. And he, he says, you know what? I'm just going to flip the Bible open and I'm going to do what it tells me. He flips it open and he, he ends up in one of the gospels and he reads, Judas hanged himself. He says, okay, I think I did that wrong. I'm not very experienced with this Bible stuff. I must have made a mistake. So he closes his Bible and he says, I'm going to open it up again and I'm going to do what it says. He opens it up and it says, go and do likewise. <laughs> oh, it's terrible, right? This terrible dark humor, but that's how my humor is. Sorry. Times of crisis are hard times to develop new spiritual disciplines, but God can do that if that's necessary. How much better would it be if we've developed healthy spiritual practices, rhythms, disciplines, if we have a full toolkit available to us so that in the times of crisis, we're able to try on different things until we find something that helps us reconnect to the source of our joy, the source of our life, the source of our hope, so that we can walk and step with the spirit once again. The first thing that Matt helped me see is that I was moving toward, not away. The second thing that he helped me see is that I, in that season, was very open to possibilities. I wasn't resigned to fate. This is part of what the Spirit does for us, and it runs so counter to the stereotype of people of faith. People of faith who are really walking in step with the Spirit, they're open to possibilities. 
When Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, he, he talks about the Spirit as, as like the wind. You can't see where it comes from or where it's going. He says, so is everyone who is led by the Spirit. There is a certain unpredictability about the Holy Spirit and an unpredictability to life that, that we receive when we walk in step with the Spirit. How could it be otherwise if God is bigger than our imagination, if he's not something that we've just made up? He would and should be both reliable and mysteriously unpredictable. This has been my experience. I found myself open to possibilities. I'm in the hospital and I'm open to everyone who walks in. I'm open to a great conversation happening with a nursing assistant. Uh, there was this guy named Elliot who was our nursing assistant and who was there multiple days. And as we talked, we found out that he also had twins. We found out a lot about him and his life. And we just had this great connection with him. Uh, this person who's caring for my wife, who's got a hard job, a really hard job. The person in the room next to us was, was being horrible to this man. And he was just so kind and so calm and so patient and so good and because I was open to the Spirit and open to possibilities, I was able to have a connection with him. I, I, I even managed to spend multiple days with a guy named Elliot and never once do the thing where I hold my finger up to him and say, Elliot. Uh, maybe that dates me. Maybe he wouldn't have gotten it. But my guess is that he got that for his entire childhood and hates it. I think the Holy Spirit protected Elliot from me in that moment as I walked in step with God. Open to possibilities. I found myself radically open to possibilities, doing my best creative thinking when I'm in the hospital with a family member. When I was in the hospital with my mother-in-law as she was sick and, and heading towards hospice care, I was so open to possibilities. I could see things the doctors couldn't see. I was so in tune with the spirit and what he's doing. So aware. It's like a different level of consciousness downloads into us in those moments. And I hope you get that experience. I remember reading years ago, a book by Dan Shapiro. Uh, he's a professor, I think at Harvard uh, works in the negotiation project there. The book was called Negotiating the Non-Negotiable. He's looking particularly about how to negotiate in very, 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 very ridiculously hard situations. A Middle East peace crisis, uh, negotiation with a toddler, those sorts of things. And one of the things he talks about in his book is this thing he calls vertigo, where we get so emotionally hooked into a conflict or, or to a negotiation that our whole world becomes this tunnel and, and we get sucked into it and we become less open to possibility, less able to see creative solutions and we become resigned or fixated. And what Shapiro encourages you to do in those moments of vertigo is to, to unhook, to find a way to step out of the emotional flooding. And it starts by working in your body. Now, Shapiro doesn't say this, but I bet he wouldn't disagree with me because I'm right about this. Our bodies are essential to who we are. God made us and formed us as spiritual beings with bodies. We will always, always, always have bodies. In the resurrected life, in the age to come, everyone will have a body. We're not going to be disembodied spirits in the afterlife, according to the Christian narrative. 
We will have bodies just like Jesus had a body. We will be able to eat fish and hug our friends and offer high fives and fist bumps. We'll be capable of connection. Our bodies are essential to our being. There is no human being without body. And I think it's really important to see that your body is an essential part of who you are. And so when you're in stressful times, when you're in times of suffering and crisis and hardship, your body is going to have a physical reaction to that. It's normal. It's natural. It's how God made you. Taking time to go for a walk, to take a deep breath, to take a long nap, to practice good physical self-care is not just wise. It is necessary if you're going to walk with the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit is a physical image. God gave us a physical body. And even though you can't see the Spirit, He is deeply interwoven into our physical world. So if you want to walk with the Spirit in hard times, in crisis, you need to take good care of your body. I think another very helpful way to unplug from vertigo, and this is in some ways stereotypically the opposite of practicing good physical self-care, and that's to engage in good, rigorous theological thinking. I know that's probably not what you were expecting me to say. Good, rigorous theological thinking, reasserting the truths about God and reality. That there is God who is the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. All fatherhood, all motherhood, all images of parenting that are healthy and good derive from him. We believe, if you follow Jesus, we believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. This is uh, how the Apostles' Creed starts. You can recite a creed like this to ground you. I've done this in hard times. This is where, you know, as Michelle is going to teach us next week, this is where liturgical practice can be so helpful borrowing other people's prayers, as Maggie shared a few weeks ago, borrowing other people's words when we sing them. It can be so incredibly helpful to reassert good theology because part of what happens when we find ourselves in vertigo in hard times, stressful times, is we lose perspective. We feel like we are all alone. We lose a sense that God is all around us, that God is at work for us, and that God will be victorious. Good theology can ground you. And when you've practiced healthy physical care, when you've practiced good theology, it opens up a pathway for prayer for you to engage consciously with a God who is always conscious of you, who has never forgotten you, who's not ignoring you, who will never abandon you, who's promised that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. Well, the last thing that Matt reminded me of in that conversation that you've probably forgotten I was having with him is that in these moments of crisis, when you're walking with the spirit, you end up with more of the true you, not less of the true you. Now, Matt didn't say it that way, but that was how I heard it. I was being the best version of me when I was in the hospital with Amy. I was providing great care to this person who I love so much. I was present. I was listening. We were talking. We were walking. We were, we were right there face to face. And I also was very strategic. That's a part of me. 
God has made me a, a pastor, but an executive type of pastor. I care for people, and I'm also thinking about structures, strategies, and systems. Always. When I'm healthy, this is always rattling around in my brain. Now, there is a true version of you, too. There's a true version of you out there. You at your best. And when you're walking in step with the Spirit through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're walking in step with the Spirit in the midst of a hard time, the best version of you comes out. There's more of you, not less of you. Now, this is part of what hard times can do for us. They can bring the true you up to the season, up to the surface. And I hope you like the true you who you get to see. That is not always the case. Sometimes the true me that peeks out in hard times is a me that I don't like. It's how I ended up in therapy for the first and second time I ended up meeting with a therapist as I was in a hard season of life and the true me that came out was a destructive version of me. It was a version of me that I didn't like. It was a version of me that I couldn't stand. It was a version of me that I didn't want to inflict on the people around me. And I knew that something needed to change. That happens sometimes. And this too is a gift because when you are deeply loved, it's okay to hear that you need to change. And friends, you are deeply loved by God. The spirit who is walking with you, who invites you to walk with him, well, that invitation happens because he loves you. He doesn't love you because you walk with him. He invites you to walk with him because he loves you. God is present to you, not because you're doing anything for him, not because you're aware of him, not because you're asking for him to do anything. He's with you because he loves you. In the midst of your darkest season and your hardest times, the most important thing for you to experience is the overwhelming love of God. Now, if you like what's coming out of you in the midst of those hard times, that's great. Thank God for it. Embrace it. Don't do that false humble thing where you say, oh, shucks, no, I'm still a dirty, rotten sinner. I, I mean, don't say that. Don't do that. Even if it's true, even if you are a dirty, rotten sinner, you are someone who is beloved by God and your belovedness is the most true thing about you. Henry Nouwen writes about this in one of his books. And I love it because I think it's so true. I think it's so true to who Jesus is. When he talks about the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He does this because he loves these sheep and because he is loved by his father. He loves us. It's why he died for us. It's why he conquered death for us. It's why he lives for us today because he loves us. Ask him, ask him to help you understand the height and depth and breadth and width of the great love he has for you. Ask him. I don't think you can ever fully grasp it, but it's worth trying. There is a good father who loves you. He has a son who is saving you, rescuing you, redeeming you. And the spirit of this Jesus is with you now. If you'll receive him. He's with you now if you ask him to be involved in your life. He's with you now if life is good and he's with you now if life is bad. He will never, ever, ever 
ever, 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 ever leave you. And this, my friends, is good news.